0: You're listening to Ants Talk. Dr. Knight, a pastor, was involved in a freak accident one Thanksgiving morning that left him handicapped and disfigured. With over 80% of his body badly burned, what happened that day literally changed his life personally and professionally forever. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Knight. How are you?
1: I'm outstanding. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for coming onto the show and having a chat.
1: Of course. That's what preachers do best. Exactly.
0: Now, listen, I just wanted to ask about your life before the accident.
1: Well, um, uh, well, let me see. You know, I grew up, my dad was Episcopal priest and I kind of grew up in his shadow and uh, always uh, admired him and but never really heard anything about the gospel. Uh, or I should say, being born again. Until I was in my freshman year, my my dad actually introduced me to a youth leader named Andy Cabot, and uh, Andy Cabot invited myself and another high school student to his farm in New Hampshire, Walpole, New Hampshire. He said, "Hey, come on up. We'll we'll uh, just uh, spend some time on the farm and." He says, bring your Bible with you. I said, okay. So the first night I was there, uh, they showed me the bridge illustration. I accepted Christ as my savior. And um, and then, you know, I started almost kind of surveying people at the Episcopal Church, at my public high school. I went to a vocational high school. My own family asked, Are you born again? And nobody responded in the affirmative and so i concluded i was 16 years old i concluded that i must be a missionary because nobody else around me knows christ as their personal savior and so then i kind of just uh went through high school kind of being an outsider i didn't go to parties and didn't do. You know, crazy things, uh, and um, and then uh, a year or so after high school, I went in the Air Force, and I found a lot of good Christian friends there, and um, that really was very formative in my Christian life. And I really started seeking for a church, even though I had Christian friends in the in the Air Force, I didn't really know where I belonged in terms of a church and I didn't really think where I was, where I grew up was the place to be. And so it wasn't actually till I got out of off active duty. I was actually in the Air National Guard in Connecticut at the time and a lady invited me to a Baptist church, a lady by the name of Norma Muddy and uh, she was working in a Christian bookstore, and I went in to buy a Bible for my sister's wedding. And so she made me promise I'd visit Calvary Baptist Church, and I did. And the first time I heard preaching from the King James Bible, and the pastor was preaching expository. And I said, Wow, I have never, ever heard preaching like this in eight years that I have known the Lord. I've never heard preaching like this before. I said, you know, this is this is where I belong. And, um, so again, I was kind of assessing things around me and I noticed most all the men had Paisley ties on and everybody had a King James Bible. So I just concluded that, well, uh, as long as I have a Paisley tie and a King James Bible, I'll probably fit in pretty well here. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Um, and so nine months later, I left there to go to Pensacola Christian college. And as a Bible major and prepared for the ministry, I felt God calling me to be a pastor while I was, um, my last uh, tech school, um, second to last tech school I went to, last tech school I went to, second to last Air Force school that I attended, Um, just searching the scriptures, the, the Lord just made it clear to me, impressed in my heart, they wanted me to be a pastor. So I came home from my tech school, which was in Illinois, just about a hundred miles south of Chicago. Uh, I drove home before I told my parents I was called to be a pastor and they kind of freaked out and uh, didn't know what that was all about. So, but nonetheless, the next uh, nine months later, I left to go to Pensacola Christian College. I wrote the past, the president of the college the end of the fir- my freshman year and I told him it was the best year of my life and which it was and we enjoyed uh prayer groups in the men's dormitory and going to chapel four days a week and um just had a really uh great time
0: when did the accident actually happen what what year was that how old were you then
1: it was um thanksgiving in 96 about 11 months after I moved to Danvers, Massachusetts, that I was in the fire. Right. It was on Thanksgiving Day. Well, in the United States, we have a Thanksgiving Day. That particular year, it was usually the last Thursday of, uh, or the third, I think, Thursday of the month of November. It was the 28th of November, 1996.
0: And how I old went- were you at the time?
1: I was 30 years old. Wow, that's young. And uh, I went to turn this gas stove on and it delayed igniting and I tried it several more times and then when it did ignite, it had gas that built up under the cover and it flashed out, caught me on fire and I struggled to put it out and I succumbed to the flames, ended up on the floor and I just... There's nothing I could do. I just all I could do to really try and survive and I just started praying and asking asking the Lord that He would allow me to live longer here on earth so I could serve him here. I knew I probably the easy thing would do, do to die and go to heaven and serve the Lord there with no pain, no tears, no suffering. but I asked I wanted to serve the Lord longer here on earth and so i i woke up about 10 weeks later in a hospital bed in boston and I
0: so you have no memory after the accident sort of thing it was you basically woke up in hospital
1: i woke up 10 weeks later i was in induced coma they med flighted me to the hospital about 20 miles away and i was they probably put me out or gave me morphine right away and i you know I don't remember much except some nightmares. They had done 14 surgeries on me prior to me being brought out of the coma. And um, then I woke up and I was in ICU, another uh, um, intensive care unit for another two weeks. And then they moved me to a rehab called Braintree Rehab about, I don't know, that might have been about 20 miles to the south on the South Shore of Boston, and I spent 33 weeks at that hospital. Um,
0: so after the accident, did uh, do you know, did somebody find you or was it the authorities that sort of called yeah, to the house?
1: It, it was a three-apartment building, and the landlord lived right above me. Right. And um, they actually knew the stove was was not working properly, and they refused to replace it. Like a three hundred dollar stove, um, and um, so they heard me yelling when the fire, you know, kind of hit me, and uh, the landlord came in and knocked, knocked the door down and was pulling the fire off me and dragged me out of the apartment. So I think they, uh, it's prob- probably I was in the driveway when the paramedics got, but I don't really remember.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine.
1: This is Anne's talk, um,
0: and I know that you've endured many surgeries after to repair the damage. How many is it now? Twenty? Well,
1: I'm I'm at twenty three surgeries, and I just got a call from from the Veterans Affairs Hospital a couple of weeks ago, and they said they're going to uh, set up a a uh, consult with a plastic surgeon, uh, with the, you know, it's a military hospital and they want, uh, they want to look at my feet and see if they can reconstruct some of my, especially my right foot. My mobility is not very good. Right. Um, I'm not in a wheelchair anymore, but I'll use a wheelchair whenever I go through an airport. So if you can think about the distance you, you have to walk through an airport. That's about, that's more than I want to be walking.
0: Yeah. And there's also all the standing around waiting to be served too.
1: Right. So that'll be, if I do that, that'll be my 24th surgery. And you know, that probably won't be my last, but I've had 23 surgeries to date and eight months in therapy, learning how to, I was 31 years old. I was learning how to walk all over again. I was using, um, a walker. I had braces on my legs. I was used crutches, used walker. Started on the parallel bars. All those different processes. Learning to walk up and down steps again because yeah. I lost all mobility of my legs and feet while I was in the coma and, and in bed for probably mm, sixteen to twenty weeks, something like that. Yeah. Um, constantly.
0: I can imagine too that the burns in the skin grafts itself would tighten the skin and make it a lot harder to be mobile anyway.
1: Well, it's all grafted. It's all grafted. Yeah. So you can see my leg It's all gra- That's all grafted skin. They, they took uh, they took a uh, donor site from my neck and they shaved my head three times to um, take skin. In my forearm, My forearm on both of my forearms and my upper back, they uh, used as donor sites. My shoulders, they took skin from the shoulders to put on my heels. But when I came out of the coma, I had no skin on the back, two thirds of my feet. No skin at all. That's incredible. It was all red. So, I know that
0: over in the States, you guys have quite a complex medical system. Um, Over here in Australia, we're very blessed to have um, Medicare. So, you know, if, if, if you can't afford private healthcare cover, you will always have the public system, which we get all of our, you know, care for free and... Um, we have also have a reduced rate on medical uh, medicines, etc. So, how would someone over in the states, like yourself, afford such surgeries?
1: Well, I had. Now, this is twenty three year old. You have to take in the count, the time value money. But twenty three yeah. years ago is about a million and a half in medicals. Today's yeah. money, it'd be about two and a quarter, two and a half million dollars in today's yeah. money, uh, U.S. money. Um, I had, I had a full insurance and then a uh, private insurance is called, uh, Connecticut It was through my former church in Connecticut. And I was on a plan where you could continue paying for that and they would keep you on the plan for so many, so long after you left your employer. Yeah. So I was happened to still be on that plan and then, um, when I came out of the hospital, I was, of course, I was a resident of Massachusetts th- at that point, and they have a plan called Mass Health, and that that was in, in. Well, incidentally, when I before I came out of the coma, my dad had already signed me up for Social Security disability. Yeah, so I did read that. Okay, so he he took care of that while I was still kind of unconscious and um so but then when my my insurance ended up lapsing i went on the mass health so between the social security disability the medicare and then the mass health which was the state one is a federal program and the other is a state it paid entirely for everything as far as my medical i had no uh no outstanding bills when i left the hospital
0: oh that's brilliant yeah That's very
1: good yeah what, so what's
0: been sorry what what has been the biggest challenge that you've faced since the accident
1: well you know um i mean this whole scenario is about uh, about it's not about me it's about christ and but relative to myself it's God's calling on my life to be a pastor. And this has been one more obstacle that's made it incredibly difficult to pastor a church. I used to probably knock on doors, go door to door for five to eight hours a day, and I loved it. I didn't walk, I used to run between the houses. Wow. Um, so it's, you know, with the ministry. Uh, you know, my dad used to say, "The way you build a great church is shoe leather, shoe leather, shoe leather and um, so um, not being able to have this functionality of a normal normal man normal uh, physical condition has been extremely difficult, and everything I do in my life is seems like it 's totally wrapped up in what my, um, you know, my health. Uh, every decision I make kind of goes through the prism. You know, I moved to Florida from uh, Connecticut because of my health. The doctor told me to get out of the cold, cold weather. So, uh, you know, everything I do, my, my, you know, what I can and can't do in the ministry is everything is seen through the prism of what I can physically do, and what I can't. So yeah. it's it's and it's just a constant. It's an everyday, um, it's an everyday you know kind of challenge.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. What yeah. did you notice about people's reactions to you post the accident? Like people that you knew.
1: Well, I, I've got well, early on. I I got a lot of support. I had pastors that would come to the hospital. I would have visitors sometimes, as much as ten hours a day, and I had. Uh, family, my family kind of was is was is split up. So I had my two sisters and my mom came from Western Mass every week to come see me for most of the year that I was in the hospital. And my dad, my stepmom, would come up from Connecticut every week most of that time. And so there was a lot of support that way. Uh, One church raised a little bit of money for me. Uh, The college I graduated sent me a little bit of money um, as I was getting out of the hospital uh, to kind of help me a little bit. Um, So uh, while I was in the hospital, I got about 400 cards in the mail from all over. I'm not sure I got anything from Australia. I may have, (laughs) but I, I know I got letters from... The Netherlands and from uh, I, uh, Israel, and I used to say, you know, uh, I get letters as far away as foreign countries like tech, Netherlands, uh, Israel, and Texas.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so with that, going back to that sort of question and delving into it a little bit further, the majority of us would never in our lifetime be in that position that you've been in yourself. Um, what would you suggest to people that are listening and, you know, experience one of their loved ones being in a similar predicament? What would you say would be the best thing you could do for them?
1: What, um, well, there's a couple of things. One is I would say the more you can focus on other people and ministering to others, the better off you'll be. Uh, it's, it's never good to focus on yourself. Even when you're, you know, you know, you're in bad shape, it's always better to be focused. The best thing I guess I could say is to have a godly purpose in your life. Why, why you exist to why you deal with, you know, the trials that you may go th- be going through and, uh, keep your, keep your focus and keep your eyes on Christ. And, um, understand that, you know, there's a song we sing, uh, I don't know what t- tomorrow brings, but I know who holds tomorrow. So, you know, I would say uh, keep your focus on Christ, keep your purpose um, on the things of, of Christ, and that will help you a lot. I mean, that was, if there was any reason that got me through this, the, the purpose would be Christ. That was my purpose. It wasn't anything else. It was Christ. So, um, it's not, uh, hyperbole to say or, or exaggeration to say to keep your, keep your focus on Christ because, uh, most people in this world don't have any purpose. And they certainly don't have the purpose of serving Christ and living for Him. And, uh, ministering to other people. Mm. Most people in this world don't have that. Though there's many good Christians, most do not. So I would say the best thing you could do is live with purpose in your life.
0: Sure. And what about um, today? What sort of challenges do you still face today?
1: Uh, well. Well, the medical is a is a problem. I'm, I'm looking at this other surgery that's going to probably make me, uh, you know, um, bound. You know, I'll be in bed for quite a while and have to go through rehab all over again. Um, so the challenges are um, constantly the medical issues that come up every day. Mm. You no, know, I have, I have, I have graphs that break down on my feet, my legs and different parts of my body. And, um, so just trying to stay healthy is probably my biggest, biggest challenge. And, and also I have to take my own advice. I got to remember why I'm here and that's to stay positive because I'm here for Christ. I'm not here just for myself. Mm. So sure. I, I kinda gotta take my own, you know, uh I gotta eat my own cooking, yeah, shall we say.
0: <laughs> um, you've also written three books. What are they based on?
1: Well, the first one is my doctoral thesis. Uh the first two are actually both combined in my doctoral thesis. My uh I'll put it this way. Um this book hang on a second, this book here. Is my doctoral thesis. Um, children's Ministry Leadership is my thesis. Other research that I did in my doctoral program, um, I came up with this book, Leadership the Lord's Way. And then I did some other research work and I came up with this book, Transformational Truth. Down and when they went out, when they came in, basically the family was talking about the Lord all the time together it wasn't you know something you just turned on when you went to church and turned off when you came home you talked about things of God all the time U- ultimately is training parents to lead their children to Christ and then mm-hmm. there's there's lots of different lots of different definitions of leadership in fact i go through 80 years of different um uh definition there's a de- new definition every decade or so uh, and, and, uh, so I go through different definitions all kinds of things. So we, we kind of come up with a premise of follower first, you know, follower first type of uh, leadership that's basically says the closer you follow Christ, the, the gr- the better leader you are. And then, um, this book, this is my first volume of, of transformational truth. I'm just finishing up volume two now, but um this compares and contrasts prepositional apologetics, presuppositional, excuse me, presuppositional apologetics with classical apologetics. Another chapter we're comparing uh the Quran, what the Quran says about salvation and heaven and hell with what the Bible says. I think that's chapter five. And um so this, this is basically te- teaching how to talk to the unsaved about Christ and sure. uh, to reach others for Christ. So like I say, I, we're about, I'm about to I'm at just turn 75,000 words in my second manuscript, Transformational Truth, Volume 2. So I've been working on that every day as of late. Sure. Um, and I also
0: know that you've started a YouTube channel. Do you want to actually um, just read the so the listeners, if they want to tune in and watch that, that they come and find you, could you just give the address on YouTube?
1: Yeah, if, if if people just go to Dr. Andrew Knight on YouTube, they'll find it, or they can go to excellentway.tv TV, and all the cha- all the YouTube uh, videos are tied to the website right on the front page, but. And uh, so that's all,
0: That's also the website that uh, listeners would be able to find more about you yourself, correct?
1: Yes. Yes. And my podcast, uh, Polydeck Now, is on there as well.
0: Fantastic. Do you want to just read that website out one more time before we go?
1: It's excellentway.tv. Fantastic.
0: Andrew, thank you so much. We really, really appreciate your time. You've got a fascinating story and I'm sure the listeners will love listening to it. Um, and uh, we hope to chat again sometime.
1: Certainly, any time. I'd be glad to uh, keep up with you all.
0: Thank you so much. We really appreciate it.
1: Okay. Bye. talk. It's like Oprah, but not.